What's up, ladies and gents? Welcome to the Elk Hunt Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Rich. And if you're new here, this podcast feed is a place for all of the elk hunting interviews that I've done over the last six or seven years. Some are Wapiti Wednesdays, some are from my original podcast. But I wanted to compile the largest collection of elk hunting knowledge and interviews ever put together, which is pretty cool. And I would love your guys' help getting it out there to the world. So if you could do me a huge favor, uh, this is a new feed. So go leave it a five-star review and maybe tell a friend about it. But thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you guys enjoy this elk hunting podcast. All right, buddy. Welcome to the welcome to Wapti Wednesday. Like you jumped on the on my Zoom call here. It's like my jaw hit the floor when I look at that bull and both those bulls. There's a caribou in your background and then there's a giant bull elk that's got split g5s and i'm like oh that's that's the thing <laughs> it's non-typical but not <laughs> for sure uh yeah and i care is that alaska caribou yeah that was a draw tag in 2017 i actually Dude. killed both those bulls in the same year what yeah that's a good year <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure. so we're uh we're BSing before the podcast and you're getting ready to go to Alaska for like the next two months. So are you not going to get an elk hunt this year? Not till uh, late anyway. Yeah. I won't get a hunt till rifle season. Um, which is fine with me. Uh, you know, last year I felt like I like checked the bull off my archery hunting like bucket list, you know, it was just like, I mean, it's taken me a while to get that, but it's like, I don't know, kind of satiated the taste a little bit, but not right. like it's not there. Cause I li- love archery elk hunting, but it'll be cool to like, do something else you know right 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 so you're gonna put a, a quite a bit of effort into the late season or oh, dude, yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah i secretly but i think you know there's not a lot of people that put a ton of effort into montana rifle but there's some the some of the dudes and a lot of them are under the radar i feel like a lot of the dudes that are killing big bulls on the late hunt are like under the radar don't have social and like there's just a few of them that kill giants and they put a lot of effort into November elk hunting. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. I've like, I mean, so that bull was like pretty special. Like, uh, but I had guided like three weeks before that in a different part of the state, and I had only seen like one legal bull in. So that was like three weeks of like grinding it and hitting it hard and like killing one elk, you know. And that like mental fortitude, I feel like in the late season is huge, and I don't think there's anything that can replace that. Like, you can like work your ass off being in the right place, but unless you're like tough enough to be out there and like, right. you know, it's like, dude, some years are different, but like some years it'll like, it'll test your metal far more than like an archery elk hunt. Cause archery elk hunting is like, Oh, there's one over there. There's one over there. You know, it's like, you see it's 70 and sunny, like it's beautiful. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, Oh, it's 30 mile an hour winds today. And it might hit zero. Like it's yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Uh, so what's the story on that big bull? Um, so that one, so yeah, I'd guided three weeks prior to that. Hadn't seen anything. Um, the week prior, uh, was out with a buddy and we killed a cool non-typical bull. We almost killed two bulls in this like hell hole. Um, you know, looking back on, it, I'm glad we didn't cause I missed like a three ten type bull, you know? Um, and now that, that had only been like my second day elk hunting that season personally, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and so I was done guiding, took a couple of days off to like reset my head. Cause I just had like, you know, a couple of bad weeks and you can like 
get into a bad head space and that doesn't like do any good. Right. So I like wake up and like, it was one of those mornings I like, I've experienced this a few times where you like wake up and you like, know you know, you're, gonna- <laughs> I could just feel it, dude. And I'm like driving down there and I had two spots in mind and I was like, okay, the one is like an absolute hellhole. It's not very fun. It's like a, it's a good place to kill a bull, but it's not fun. You know, it's right. like, not cool. And I was like, the other spot, I was like, it's beautiful. It's like typical elk country. And I was like, and I just got the feeling, you know, and I was like, dude, I'm going to kill a bull this morning for sure. So anyway, like the trailhead's like pretty high up on the mountain and I, I was driving up there and it had snowed that night, probably like two feet on the road. And so I was like halfway to the trailhead and I'm like pushing snow with my truck. I mean, it's just like <laughs> coming up over the road. It was like, I was like, man, I'm getting in a little over my head, you know? And like, before I knew it, like my truck started, like when the back wheels don't track with the front, you know, yeah. and, like, you know I almost went off the road and it, it's like steep. It's like, if you were going off the road, you're going for a ride. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, I like park my truck and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to like bomb up there. And it's like two grand of elevation gain, you know, through like a little bit over knee deep snow. And luckily I like was there plenty early and, um, dude, it was sick. I was like post holing up there and just had this just great feeling, you know, and post hole and post hole and get to the top of the ridge. And it was just like, it was one of the sickest, like pre dawns. I hit the ridge, like right as the sun was like peeking up, right as you're starting to see light. And it's like, I'm like basked in the Alpen glow. I mean, it couldn't have been like any sicker. <laughs> Jupiter and Mars, I think were like up in the sky. And then there was like a crescent moon. It was just like absolutely epic, you know? And I'm like changing layers. I was like, okay, I'm gonna start down this ridge. And like, I wasn't like 250 yards down the ridge. And there's like a couple bigger, like drainages come off the main ridge. And I just like looked down. I saw a bunch of elk down there, naked eyes, like a mile away. I threw up my binos and there was like seven bulls down there. And I was like, okay, I'm like, solid, you know? And I threw the spotter up and like, you know, you see, I see that bull. And then there was like two other bulls in there that were over three thirty. So it was just like, and I've been holding out that year for like a big one. And it was just immediately, uh, you don't even have to like, you see that, you don't have to think about it. You know? <laughs> okay, let's go. <laughs> you yeah, know? Absolutely. I didn't, I didn't even bother like putting my spotting scope back in my pack. I just like lashed it to the back and just like zipped it down and just like literally started running down there. And I was like running down this finger ridge that kind of put me, like parallel to where the ridge they were on. And I like, I'm ranging it as I'm going down there. I'm like, okay, well, like right now I'm 500 yards from that face. And I knew if I kept going down, I'd be within range. And like, I get down there and I got to 550 and I kind of found an opening in the trees. And I was like sitting there trying to get behind my pack. I'm like, I'm on like a downhill. And so it's like, you know, anybody's hunted the mountains, like one of the hardest things is to try to get. Right. Stuff, right. And I was like, dude, I'm like lined up on it. Dude, that's a huge bull. I don't know. I, I do not want to whiff this, you know, like at all. Right. And I just I was like, God, dude, I know I can find a better spot. And so I like, grabbed my pack, grab my gun and like bomb down the ridge a little bit further. And it was weird. It was just like, it was one of those mornings where like every, it was just meant to be. And I, <laughs> I'd never been on this ridge before. And I just popped out and there was like a perfect, like rock, like platform just sitting there. And the only elk I can see is that one. And he's uh, like, he's like 350 yards. I'm <laughs> just like, dude, you're so dead. And I <laughs> got set up on him and he's the only one I can see. And I shoot. And the first shot I put right behind the shoulders, like in the lungs. And he just like, he kind of like stutter stepped and he was like still standing. 
and the next shot, I just like nuked him in the shoulders. And it was one of those ones who just immediately just down. Oh, that's the greatest feeling. The greatest feeling. So sick. And like the hillside that he was on was like, it's steep. It's like 60 degrees or more, you know? And like, he just starts tumbling like, and I mean, he probably went like, I don't know, 250 feet down the mountain, just like ass over tea kettle. And finally, like he came to a stop and his rack actually dug in and his whole body is like laying out like downhill of him. Like it was super sick, you know, (laughs) ideal, but it was like, it was not very fun after that. Cause I was by myself, you know, right. I had to like, I didn't feel safe, like working on him where he was at. Cause it was just like so steep. And I was like, dude, you know, his whole body's downhill of his rack. If he like goes, I'm like screwed, you know? Yeah. So I like, there was some smaller pines, like underneath me, there's, they're probably like, I don't know, 25 foot pines, you know, and then some smaller ones. And I just kind of like loosened him up and then just kind of like got him to where he was just sliding. And I just sent him. <laughs> I went like another, like, I don't know, 150, 200 feet. And I mean, he was like picking up steam. Oh. And the worst part was he came to a stop on a tree and his rack was on one side and his body was on the other. So it was just like <laughs> one of the worst like breakdowns I've ever had. <laughs> I quartered, I got three quarters off had him half caped. I had the back straps off and I still had to gut him to get the carcass like light enough to where I could like pull the head off, you know, it was like, yeah. and then I even had to end up like, I ended up cutting the tree down. So it was like an, he was wrapped around like an eight inch tree and I had like a nine inch handsaw. So I'm sitting there just like short stroking it for everything. <laughs> <laughs> totally worth it, you know, but totally it, was, worth it, yeah. it was one of those, like I shot at it. It was like seven o'clock in the morning. And I didn't start like walking up out of there till two o'clock in the afternoon. Jeez. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, what a cool story though. Like just like, I love that feeling when you just know it's going to have like today's the day. Like, like here it yeah. goes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And like, we've only had that a few times and like that morning was one of them. And then like the bull I killed last year is the same deal. I like knew, you know, it's just like going into it i'm just like and then you hype yourself up you're like dude, right. dude that bull you killed last year was a stud bull too i mean you've been on a roll here <laughs> and i mean last year's was an archery bull right yeah yeah, yeah. was it what was that montana yeah oh yeah. no kidding i for some reason i thought that was like a draw tag in colorado or something no 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 ah. i'm like this one was a limited entry it's like a, you know one of the ones where it's like unlimited tags basically yeah the other one is over the counter oh nice yeah. So the last year's bull, I had actually hunted in, uh, 2019, I hunted the same bull and I could never quite get on him. You know, he's just a little bit like one step ahead of me every time. And like, I only had a limited amount of time to go after him. So it was like um, a miracle. He wasn't killed. Cause it's like a right. pretty, pretty popular area, you know? Um, but it was crazy, dude. The morning, like, well, so I had only hunted last year on an opening weekend, which was sweet. Then I got caught in like the most hellacious winter storm in this burn area that I've ever been in it was on labor day and kind of freaked me out. Like wasn't very much fun. There was like, I was in this huge deadfall or it wasn't like is standing dead timber, like still burn. And this windstorm came in. It was like, I mean, it was blowing trees over. You could hear it, you know, just like <laughs> see trees falling, you know, and so I was, dangerous. 
I was like freaked out. You know, and I'm just like, oh my God, like I'm just like running, trying to get out of there. And uh and then I had like a slew of car issues, like the, basically had to replace like the whole front end of my car, like carrier bearings, <laughs> new joints, just like onslaught of shit. Right. For, for like, and it took me two weeks to get it like, you know, <laughs> and in the process, I was trying to hunt the cellway as well, because that's like right by my house. And like I had scouted that unit out. And I thoroughly just like had my ass handed to me in there. I didn't see a living, (laughs) you know, it's like three season. I was like killing it. I was like, dude, I'm seeing, you know, and it's like season came around. It was a combination of like smoke, you know, wildfire, just elk, not not fun. Yeah. Kind of feeling down on my luck. And then, uh, it was September 19th. We had like that snow come in. Yeah. A lot of the mountain ranges kind of got it and it kind of like kicked that smoke down. And I was like, okay, I know like a good elk hunting spot. I'm gonna like get out of here, go try this other spot out. And I had like two of the best days I've ever had. Nice. Like, bar none, like guiding personally, like it was insane. Like the first day, I think I could have killed three different bulls and <laughs> like it was sick. Like yeah. it was awesome and i was just like damn this is so cool like this you know this is one of the best days and like i'm the best hunter ever (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh i I didn't say that but um uh it was just cool and it was cool just like having just like getting my ass kicked for like two weeks just like you know with all the shit and then like that and i was like okay i'm gonna try like the other side of the valley like i have this great spot and there's this bull that i'd hunted last year and like he was pretty big and um man it was awesome like i started going up the road and like it was just like, dude, I saw a huge black bear on the road as I was going up there. And, and then I saw like an owl and then like the coyotes were like singing me to sleep at like my campsite. And like, dude, I just knew, you know, I was like, dude, this is like, dude, spirit animals everywhere. Like, <laughs> right. There's like bulls bugling me to sleep, like at my car. And I was like, <laughs> and, uh, so I get up and I like start up there and it's a ways in there. It's like, I think when I, where I killed that bull last year is like seven and a half miles from the road. So it wasn't like an easy, Dang, yeah, an easy trek, you know, and you kind of have to like whittle your way through like what I had called the nursery. So like you get up there and like, there's elk kind of throughout, but there's like areas in there where like the smaller bulls hang out. And then like the bigger bulls or like the more mature bulls, like are running the show, you know, right? You like weed your way through that. And I think that morning I'd had like six or seven different bulls in front of me. Like it was, I mean, it was all time like epic and yeah. uh, the whole morning in there after i crest this one ridge i could hear this bull and he was just like hey. I love it. <laughs> in, you know dinosaur bull like, oh yeah for sure you're like this is nuts you know and like i could never see him and i'm like okay like i'm gonna get in this i'm in this canyon i was like i'm gonna get to where i'm directly across from that and i'm just gonna sit here with the spotter and try to like pick him out in the timber you know and eventually I think I was sitting there for like two and a half hours, just like grid searching this, these like patches of timber where I thought he would be. And then like before too long, I start seeing his cows like push around. And I was like, oh man, he's like up and at him. And this is at like, like, I think I was hearing him. And then I started seeing his cows at like just a little bit before noon. Oh, wow. And Oh yeah. Midday, September 21st. Like, I mean, perfect conditions, you know? And I start seeing him like push around. I was like, okay, like this is, this is good. And like the wind at that point in the day, you know, it's like in the mountains, it's going to be going up 
you know, and it's consistent and it is just like pushing. I'm just like checking it and it's like perfect, perfect, perfect. And I'm only like 650 yards away from right now. I'm like, dude, this is so money. Cause he started like pushing his cows kind of down this cut. And there's like a main drainage that I'm in. And he's kind of in like a little side cut and he just starts pushing his cows down this timber line. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to like try to get in there behind him and just weasel at him, you know? And I get in there and I'm like 125 yards from where I'd kind of last like seen him and I like catch a glimpse of him. And he's just on the other side of this cut. And he's like, broken from his cows and is like going down to the Creek. And I'm just like, dude, this is, this is the moment. Yeah. This is the moment, you know, and I'm like already knocked in and I just like beeline on the other side of this line of trees and he goes down and he kind of like disappears from me. And I like get down to the Creek and I'm like, okay, he's got to be down here. Cause I can like see his kind of, here's cows out further. And I'm just, there's a huge fir tree in front of me, like one of those big subalpine ones. And I'm just like, where is he, you know? And I'm like looking at my lane to my right and looking at my lane to the left. And it's like, if he walks out in either one of these, he's like dead, you know, but I was like, I don't know where he is. And literally right as I, I thought that I see him pick his head up from the other side of the tree and just like, <laughs> and he's like 20 yards away, you know? And I'm just like, oh, eh. there you are. <laughs> <laughs> like I was, you know, I already had like the instinct to be like, you, when I was going in there, I was like, have your arrow in the bow, like, right. ready to rock, you know, and I was like, he's going to break back towards the scouts. So he's going to hit this lane, you know, and I'm like standing in the shade and I like knew it's like, he walks out, he's done. As soon as he turned, I just drew back, walked, walked, walked. And then he stepped out and it's like, you know, I feel like a typical mistake, like archery elk hunters make is you call too early to stop them. You yep. like see him and then you're like, eh. And then it's too late because then they'll never like stop again. You know, they'll never take single steps. So I just waited for his whole body to clear. And then I was just like, "Eh," and I'm already like locked in. Yeah. You know, pin gets there and he's like, and I was like, yeah, I think it was 32 yards or something like that. Uh, It was awesome. Yeah. He didn't die in sight. So he like ran and he ran probably like he's like 70 or 80 yards out and kind of went up this hill. And I thought I saw him like do the sidestep thing, you know, mm-hmm. sure. I was like, oh, I just, you know, I, I don't know. So I like sat there probably for like 45 minutes and just like chilling out being like, that was insane. You know, just like thinking about the whole thing and found my arrow in the dirt. Blood looked good. And like the broadheads I'm using, they're sweet. They fly great. They're the kudus. Uh, but I don't think they leave like a terribly great blood trail no i've been using kudos for years i mean they kill shit but they don't leave a great blood trail <laughs> no not at all and like yeah i mean it's zipped right through them like nothing but yeah so i'm like shit i'm looking and he wasn't really bleeding a lot like there was like a couple drops so i was like having to like follow his track because he was obviously running like super heavy footed and just leaving right. like a print and tracking and tracking and tracking him and i get like right to where i'd kind of seen him crest up the hill and I was like, damn, where is he, man? Cause he got really light footed right there. And the blood had, I'd only found like 20 drops of blood, you know, I was like, shit. And I'm looking down and I hadn't really bothered to like pick my head up at all, you know, and I literally was like looking down and then I like, huh, I wonder where he is. And just picked my head up like that. And he's laying dead, like uh, seven yards. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then like, it went from a really great day to a really bad day. You know, it's like, I was, so I was like 90% of the way done. I had gotten all the quarters off back straps, had all the quarters in bags, like laying on this tree and I was taking the cape off and I was like, right 
was caping out, like basically pulling the skin off the buttons, you know, and my fucking nice slipped. Oh, dude. Oh. <laughs> Punched it in. Like you can see the scar. Uh, can't. It's right there. Yep. I see it. But the knife went in here underneath like the pad of my finger to about Ooh. right there. Yeah. And so it's a Havilon. So it's like super sharp. But it was immediately like the shock wave through my body was like super intense. Like I've never, I've never felt anything like that. You know, oh, God. Like, you're so, like talking about it. <laughs> so like things are going through your mind, you know, you're like, okay, I didn't hit an artery, but I couldn't feel my index finger. I still can't. And this finger is numb. I had no grip. So I could do this, but that was about all I could do. And I'm like alone in grizzly country. Yeah. Myself, you know, and I'm just like, the head is now like I had no strength. So I had like my right arm, but my left hand, I'm like, dude, I can't do anything. I can't hang the quarters. I can't like, I can't really do much. So I like put the back straps <sighs> up in a tree and I was basically just like, shit, I just got to leave this, you know, and like come back tomorrow. And I like had a bunch of paracord and I just like tied the head to a tree. Cause I was just like, I don't know, you know. Yeah. What am I going to do? I don't know what's going to happen. So it's just like, it took me, yeah, uh, it took me seven and a half hours to get to the ER. Cause like, I was worried. My biggest worry is I just severed the spinal column. My biggest worry was like infection, you know, cause it was like deep and it wasn't like, uh, it yeah. hurt, you know, yeah. and like I hiked out of there. I put like, you know, this is a good note to all the elk hunters out there, like pack of good first aid kit mine thus far and basically duct tape but (laughs) with your hand especially on the side of your hand that's really hard to get any kind of a bandage on there especially like really so i had put like a glove on and then used my wrist strap release and just like strapped it onto my hand not as a tourniquet but just to like keep pressure on it pressure yeah and then i stuck my hand underneath my bino bivy Mm. and i had to hike out like this and i mean it took me like yeah i left there at two I didn't make it to my truck until like seven 30, like right at dark basically. And then, yeah, it was another two hour drive to get it stitched up and like brutal. You Is know? it just a bunch and of nerve then, damage or what? Yeah. So I can't really feel like basically this whole side of my finger is like yeah. still numb. I can feel the outside of it, but like it really affected like my trigger pull, especially for like, Cause you know, antelope season opened up like three weeks after that. And I can't like, I couldn't feel my finger. Uh, oh, like, I'm trying really? to keep my rifle. And it's like, that was the biggest thing is like, so we had antelope tags after that in Eastern Montana and I shot everything high cause I couldn't feel my trigger. And so I was just like feeling like I'm just having to pull, 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 pull. And you just can't feel where that thing's going to break, you know, it's uh, yeah. crazy, brutal. But then I was lucky enough, like, you know, to have some really great friends that kind of like dropped everything and were like, yeah, we'll come help you, you know? Cause it's like, I was just like, I mean, you know, I was going to debone it all and all that. Now you just had to drop it. You know, yeah. what are you going to do? I don't have any strength in my left hand. Like I had to get a bandage up. And even like the next day, like my hands swole like way up and like, I just had like nothing, you know? And th- thank God for good friends. Like, you know, yeah, sure. no, sh- no kidding, man. It's dude. I keep hearing more and more of those stories and they make me 
the cringe so bad, like all these Havilon stories. Uh, and like, I've knock on wood, been lucky not to have any of those issues, but man, I am so careful. I am always like super paranoid about that. It's just like, I have such a fear of it. Um, but man, those things are dangerous. And that's a really good reason to have a good extensive, uh, first aid kit, you know, something because uh, man, there's so many, so many times I've heard about people doing that, like stabbing a yeah. freaking leg and like massive amounts of blood, all like kinds of eye opening. Yeah. Know? How I mean, fast I've, things can go like best day ever to, Oh shit. Like now what? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Dude. I mean, like, you know, and I've guided for the last like decade basically, and I've never had any accidents with a knife. Yeah. Like, you right. know, I knew, I guess, you know, the takeaway for me was that like, I need to just slow down right? You know, when yourself. Like, you know, it's unnerving. It's like, dude, that and grizzly country. And you're like, uh, just trying to hurry. And you're like, always trying to be fast. And yeah, that's a recipe for disaster. For sure. And I'd even like had the inner voice, you know, telling me right before it happened, Hey, you need to sit down and like eat something, chill out. Like there's no rush here. Like all the meats off the bone. Right. Chill out. And I was just like, I just got to get this done. And it was just one of those things. I think I was just, wasn't thinking about it, you know? And then you're just like, it all it takes is that much. And you know, and then you think about it later and it's like, dude, if I would have shanked my femoral or something, I would have been right. dead. Like right. dead. And right. you know, thank God for having like an in reach, you know, cause it's like that, like, not that I needed immediate help, but you can't, you know, even then you can't really rely on it. Cause I know a lot of people even with like, I have like the older in reach, the bigger one, and it's pretty reliable about sending messages out. But I know people with the mini that like, they'll sit there for 45 minutes. Oh, really? It's like, yeah. I, I mean, only had too many problems. I've only had the, cause I had the Delorme, the old big one, and then it finally died on me and I got the mini. Um, and I've heard other people having problem with it, but I haven't I, so far. I haven't, but I don't think I've sent a ton of messages, but for sure. But it's an eye opener, you know, and it's like, right. dude, it really made me be like, okay. And my med kit still isn't like super big, but it has enough to where it's like, okay, if something were to go wrong, I can totally like, right. Right. Patch so, it up. Yeah. You added electrical tape. That's a legit, that's a, I mean, that's a legit solve any, uh, cut wound or anything like some, some napkins out of the glove box and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. Uh, uh, dude, when you were talking about, uh, kind of going into that spot and, in that bowl, I wanted to kind of come back to it. Um, you were talking about the nursery and like, this is something like, I don't think a lot of people think about, but like just how elk lay out in an area and knowing like you have to work through and or around a certain amount of elk. Cause you like go back and kind of like talk about that. And like, maybe your experience, like with sure. just how nurseries lay out. Well, even like, yeah. I wouldn't know if nursery's right. Cause nursery implies like it's a bunch of calves with like a mom. Right. right? But like, right. you're like, I totally get your point of like, Oh, there's just like For all sure. the younger bulls. It's like, yeah. Or like junior high or like you're working the right. way, like the dorm room, you know? And it's right. like, and you definitely like, as you're moving in on a herd and you can observe it, I, you know, I hate to like tell people to go hunt the brakes Cause it is like, it's so popular, you know, right. but for me, like, that's where I like really like hone my skill, my personal ability. I'm like hunting, you know, just cause you get to see it and you get to see the herd dynamics. And it's just so open that you really get to like watch elk. Not that there's not other areas you can't, but that's like, right. a good, it's a good place to learn as you like the big picture. For sure. And so like what you'll like kind of notice is like those smaller bulls are obviously way easier to call in. And especially like when you're, you know, when you're hunting, you're especially after 
we'll call it September 13th. You're probably not going to call a herd bull in like right. that's, you might. It's a rare occasion. Yeah. So it's like, you're going to have to weed through like those smaller bulls are going to be like right around the herd within a close proximity to it. And you're, you know, that's kind of a tricky part too. Cause it's like, how do you kind of work through that without like bumping them to the point that they're going to bump the bigger herd? You know? Right. And this, do you worry about that though? It's depends, you know, it's like, if you're, it, it, it depends on the herd, you know, if it's like a huge herd and there's like a bunch of outliers on there, you know, you might want to watch a little bit, but honestly I've found with like the bigger herds is they're almost their guards almost a little bit more down. Like obviously you don't want to like go blowing your scent in there, but you might get away with a little bit more movement. Right. You know, just cause they're like the, the safety and numbers thing, you know, there's like a hundred cows and they're like, Oh man, you know, they can kind of like, they think they're safer. Right. right. But like the area that I hunt or I killed that bull last year is like, it seemed like the herd bulls were hanging out like where like the bigger stream was and not always that that's the case, but like, it's definitely like they were in the more prime habitat and the smaller bulls, like the satellite bulls. And then like, I mean, some of the satellite bulls were decent and they had like cows with them, you know, but it's still like, they weren't in like the prime zone. You know, that's something that takes experience, like see, and it's not always like, you know, especially hunting the mountains, it's not always where you think it is. It might be like, it kind of takes a while to like hone that in and some of it too, like just gets so overlooked like areas do, you know? And it's like, I can see some of the areas that I hunt from the road, but it's like, <clears throat> you know, people like look at it and they're like, ah, it's too far. Or I'm not going to go in there. You know, it's like right. too far away from the road. It's like, some of my friends have said it. It's like, you're looking for like the wilderness. That's not wilderness, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and like that, I, I, I said this on something that was like, you know, I know so many dudes that have killed giants with an, you know, I, I of the road, but it's not like the typical trailhead that, goes in or it's not even like, I don't know. It's just like this mid medium ground between like, like, like you said, I like that term, the wilderness is not the wilderness. You know, it's like that stuff that people aren't going to go to. And a lot of times that's just like spots that are so maybe small or micro that it's like a lot of effort for just hunting that one little spot. Right. Like I'd rather, I'm going to go in seven miles. I'd rather be able to hunt multiple areas and drainages, but then, you know, you're, you're also doing it with everyone else. So like, if you can go in, you know, even five miles to just like one little spot, those elk will hide in that one sure. little freaking spot. Cause nobody's going in there. Cause no one's going to put in that much work for that one little spot, but it's like, it's kind of a, it's kind of a funny concept, right? You're like, we're, we're going into killing elk and there's elk there. So like whether, you know, there's multiple spots or only one spot, you know, I get, I guess there's the downside that like I go in there and, you know, blow them out. Then I got to hike five miles out and go somewhere else. But, you know, that's kind of the, <clears throat> the point of it though, is, or I guess the upside is that, you know, that's how you find those little pockets of elk. When you talk about little pockets of elk, like they're literally little, you know, they're getting, you know, a giant bull can hold up on just a little tiny timber slope with, you know, a little bit of feet on it. Oh yeah, for sure. And like some of the biggest, I mean, that bull was less than two and a half miles from the road. Right. You know, and it's like, you know, it's different because it's late season. So you have like migration patterns that like influence the elk behavior a little bit more than archery elk season, you know, archery elk season, it seems like most of the elk in a, in mountain areas are going to be within like a zone, you know, a, between like x and y on the elevation chart and it's generally between like halfway and two-thirds of the way up the mountain you know? right 
generally aren't going to find them at the top. You might, but yeah. it's like, you're generally not, you know, if you're hunting a mountain range that has like 10,000 foot peaks, you're not going to see them at 10,000 feet. You're probably going right. to see them like six and 8,000. Do you focus more on elevation or like mileage? Cause I think it, the, a lot of the world looks at mileage from trailhead, right? Like that's, you know, they're, they're looking at like that three to five range or you look more at like, Hey, what elevation? Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, and I learned that a lot from like guiding in like Northwest Montana, where there's like, you can't glass, mm-hmm. you know, literally just like cruising the timber and you would have to get into where you found like the game trails. And I mean, killed bulls up there, like pretty deep and have killed bulls up there, like not that far, but it just depends on like, you know, where you're at on that elevation line. And they tended up there, you know, it's a different ecosystem than, you know, Southwest Montana, but up there is definitely like they were in a zone, you know, like right, in, right, right. between X and Y elevation. And that was it. And you could know, you notice it too. Cause like when you weren't where the elk were, there was no game trails and it was like rough going. Right. Right. You know, right. Right. Like if you, if you had to go to a new area in Montana, you know, like, Hey, like I'm just, here's a unit, you have to go unit. Like how would you approach finding elk in that unit? Cause you know, it sounds like I mean, you're doing this a long time, obviously. And you have a lot of different spots. Like, Oh, I usually get into elk here. I usually get into elk there. How would someone like yourself go about like, Hey, I got this unit to hunt. And how do I find elk? It depends on like the unit, you know, for sure. Like the Eastern Montana units, obviously you're going to be able to glass a lot more. So getting to like high points, looking and spending a lot of time sitting and glassing is probably going to be like most, at least to get like a general idea of where they're right. at, kind of like key in be like, okay, like they're probably over there. Mountain units can be a little bit tougher because they're, you know, you can't see everything. There's a lot of timber, especially for like archery elk, you know, it's like, you're not always going to be able to like sit there and glass them. Um, you know, some like elk hunters from like the generation a little bit before us would always talk about like looking at a map and looking at the trailheads and almost drawing like lines in between the trailheads and finding like, okay, where's like, not that you always have to do this, but where are the spots that are like the farthest from those trailheads or like marked trails, you know, cause you got to think like most of the hunting pressure is going to occur on probably Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right. And, you know, personally, I try to avoid that Friday, Saturday, Sunday trap. And you can't always do that. You know, like a working class dude, it's probably not gonna be able to do that. You know, right. it's like, they might get a couple Mondays in a row, but if you like kind of think, okay, well, a lot of guys are going to put a lot of their effort into like probably the main trails or just off the main trails or just in between them. Cause they're not, you know, who on some three days to like send it. Right. And go right, right, right. for sure. And <clears throat> it can be kind of tough. It's definitely like a learning curve for sure. Especially like the mountain units. Um, Eastern Montana is a different animal just cause it's like so open. The animals behave a lot different, more different out there. Um, you know, like a lot of central and then East central Montana stuff. Those elk will be way up high, like early in the season, like they'll be almost near the top. And then when the rut happens, they all like filter down and generally they're like right on the edge of the private or like inside the private, you know, and that can be like, it, it can be super tough. Solving um, problems. Yeah, for sure. And it's just, you know, Montana is a crazy state because there's so much variability from <laughs> right, right. Region one to region seven. I mean, you're like the totally whole, different types of elk for sure. Oh yeah. Right. I mean, the elk in Northwest Montana, that's, they're almost more like, they're almost more like Roosevelt's cause they just live in the timber. 
Right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this too. I was like, you know, within Montana, let's just say most of the state, like you said, let's uh, exclude the Roosevelt hunting and then the, the prairie hunting. And you have kind of like a lot of the mountainous open country or open, open mountainous slash heavier timber mountainous. Those types, it seems to me like, like you said, elk are going to be high. Big bulls are going to be high. Um, let's say most cows are going to be mid to two thirds mountain. Um, and a lot of those bulls are going to start coming down. So it's like, as basically you got to start from the top and, and look for those elk or work your way up until you find the elk and then be like, okay, here's the elevation they're at. Like now we can hunt multiple spots. Uh, you know, like, Hey, let's go over here where it's also, you know, same mountain range, but it's also 6,000 or 7,000 feet, whatever it may be. And it's like, okay, this, we're getting into elk at 6,000. It's like kind of keep track. Um, and then be like, just making notes of where, you know, what type of terrain is like, okay, let's rinse and repeat that. And then it's like, let's go in more areas, more areas. I feel like a lot of, I don't want to say not even non-residents, but like a lot of people hunt Montana. It's like they have their camp and then they like hunt out the back door and they expect, you know, like, oh, we're going to get into elk every single day or they chase the same elk over and over and over. And then like, wonder why they're not successful. It's like, you need to, like, one of the things you said, this very classic good elk hunter, but no one probably picked it up. It's like, oh, I was in this spot. And I'm going to go over here to this spot. I'm going to go over there to this spot. And like, I think the good elk hunters, man, they bounce around so much. Like it's nothing to be like, all right, you know, screw these elk for a day or two. I'm going to go over here. Screw these elk for a day or two. I'm going to go over here. And like having multiple herds to go, sure. you know, chase because granted, like if you chase them every day, it's not, and you blow the cows, like it's just going to get harder and harder every single day. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And they have like, I feel like elk have circuits too, that they kind of work. Right. And you like, you might catch them in this zone this day or like, you know, when they're feeling more at ease, but then like if you blow them out or bump them or even just on their natural like cycle, they're not going to be there like every day. And so guys like your old timers like, Oh, well, I used to see elk here all the time. And it's like, okay, well, like you hit that spot five times in a row, the same time every year. And you've seen elk there, but now you're hitting the same zone and it's like a different day of the week. You're not there. You know, it's like, I think the biggest takeaway like that I've learned is just like, you know, and you hear people say this a lot is like hunt elk where they are, not where you think they're going to be. Right, man. So true. It, 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 it takes a while. Like even as a, like a novice elk hunter, I didn't really like, you just like, I'm going to hunt this spot because this is where I want to kill a bull, you know? And right. Like, Dude, yeah, a sweet place to kill a bull. <laughs> Unless they're there, you're just kind of beating your head into the wall and to be adaptable. And like, I think that like, not that there's anything wrong with having like a big elk camp, you know, cause I'm, it's a lot of fun. You right. know, hanging out at night, it's fun, you know, but the downside of that is, dude, well, I shit. have an argument here that I think that's a, you know, you were talking about elk hunters before us, you know, my dad was this way. We had elk camps and, it, but it's a rifle thing. I think that yeah. stems from a rifle thing. And then people brought it to archery of like, oh, we set up this elk camp and all of our buddies come here and, and it, like, we just hunt out of this one spot, man. I think you got to be more mobile than that. I think, you know, try this year. If you're listening to this podcast, man, like try this year to be more mobile, think outside of the box and cover more ground in your truck, hike into these spots, you know? And like, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think the best way is to be mobile, cover ground and get to different spots. And like, yeah, maybe you, you like, you get into a spot that's five miles back and like, man, we're, we're sleeping out here tonight and you sleep in your sleeping bag and you spend two or three days there. But like, I feel like most spots you can either find success or screw up. If you're not looking for an absolute giant, you can find success or screw it up within a day or two, you know, like shit or get off the pot. For sure. Yeah. If you're in an area, I mean, you should know fairly quickly. Yeah. Within like three days of whether there's something there and you know, it's like, yeah, just 
I've had years like in 19, I would hunt one mountain range one day and be like, I, I see what I wanted to see. No. Okay. I'm going to go to a different mountain range. And you know, like, you're like bombing like 150 miles away, you know, like I'm going to go hunt over here and not everybody can do that. Not everybody wants to do that, but it's like, right. you, you can spend a lot of like those dark hours, like driving from spot to spot. Cause it's like, you know, unless you're on elk, it's like, you can look at a map or on X or Google earth or whatever and be like, you know, okay, well, just like you're saying the winds rinse, wash, repeat thing is like this work here, this is where the elk were. And generally in the rut, it's like, they're going to be in somewhat similar areas. It would be I'm like, okay, right. well, look for these terrain features. This is kind of the zone that they're in. And then you're like, okay, especially like, you know, Southwest Montana, you can definitely do that. You can definitely have like repeatable success. If you like can kind of identify what you were doing right on the one day and then be like, okay, well, this mountain range that worked, I'm going to go try that mountain range. You right. Know? And then right, you, right, right. you keep it fresh and you're not harassing the shit out of the elk to the point where it's like, they're all of a sudden going to be like gone. Right. Know? No, for sure. And you know, like this is something I learned just trying to kill big bulls is cause I'm, I'm finding cows and I'm just looking to see what's in the herd. And you know, the more you tr- I hate the term, but the more you trophy hunt, the more you realize like, if I was trying to kill any elk, this is also the way to do it. It would just be like, I, uh, you know, I would go after every herd or like whatever herd bull is in there and, and, or satellite, you know? And so I don't think it changes. You know, I think when you, you get to the point where like, you want to be really picky or you only want to kill a giant is like, you're, you're operating at a different level. And I think if, if 90% of people took that same operating level and applied it to killing a raghorn, you'd kill a raghorn in like a day or two. Like you, if you're just in good herds of elk, you're getting close, you're making the right moves. Like, I mean, you're probably going to accidentally stab a raghorn. <laughs> like they're just going to be more prevalent For instead sure. of like walking around, setting up calling, setting up calling, setting up calling, setting up calling. Like, I feel like that, I don't know. I feel, I'd be curious what you think, but another question I was going to ask you is like, you know, you got down in that hole and it would have been easy to like make a chick cow chirp, you know, or like, I, I almost guarantee, like I personally would have been like tempted to, when I couldn't find him, you know, and you're like, Oh crap, where'd he go? Like maybe if I just make one cow chirp, he'll step out, you know, but you didn't. And I'm just curious why, but then we can talk about a little bit about like, you know, like, I feel like that's kind of elk are getting pretty tuned into like a lot of that stuff. Um, I don't know. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. I mean, you listen to like the, some of the great elk hunters like Dan Evans and mm-hmm. like that dude doesn't call at all. You know, right. he'll probably have, he probably has a reed in his mouth for like stopping, you know, but like for me, I mean, there's definitely times to call and there's times not to call. I, you know, not trying to rag on anybody, but I feel like a lot of like the archery elk community has been force fed this narrative that you have to like call to kill elk. Mm-hmm. And that's just not the case. Like you're going to probably kill more elk and be in on more elk without calling than you're, than you are like, especially as a novice elk hunter, like an experienced elk hunter, somebody who like makes a living calling or makes a living selling calls is probably gonna be pretty good. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. that's just, brass tacks and that's how it is but right. for the majority of us, myself included dude i've screwed up more elk hunts especially archery elk hunting by calling than like if i would have just been like okay the elk are over there because like when they're in the rut and they're t- tuned up especially after about september 18th you don't really need to call you know because they're going to be so like that bull was so fired up and so pissed off and just like ready to breathe that i didn't need to do anything you know it was like yeah. he had already located himself you know, and it's just like, now I just need to get in there. And like, the thing is, is once you call, especially with a bigger herd, like you're pegged, right? You know, it's like, those cows are like, there's something over there. 
or in the bulls like and there's something over there you know and it's like you're not gonna like it's gonna I mean, be it's like it's like poker I and mean, you're all in like you you, sure. you blow that call and you're all in you know sure. and like i've i've called in bulls multiple times but i feel like man these days it's getting harder and harder you know and like in that particular situation i thought it was interesting you didn't call i could see it going both ways and i wouldn't argue it either way i think it could have went right you know if you called it could have went right if you didn't call um and a lot of times that's going to be the case right but like by not calling hypothetically that bull walked back up to his herd no one in that herd knew you were there and so like you had another option like you could have easily made that play whereas if you went down there and like let's say you played it super smooth. You went down there and you just kind of chuckled one time, like, like I almost guarantee that bull would have stepped out, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't guarantee it. (laughs) You know, like he could have easily like spun up, picked his nose up and ran up there and took his cows and left. And that was game over. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's no, everything just got harder that time. And, you know, tomorrow you might get back into the herd and maybe you could slip in without saying anything, but I promise you it got harder. <laughs> so it goes oh, yeah. both ways, you know, and this, the, the difference is, is like, yeah, you can take that gamble and I, I do it. I do it a lot. I, I call a lot and I'll, I'll, I'll play that game quite a bit of like, I'll chuckle out a bowl and, and get him to rake or something like that. I think that's very doable, but like one of the things you pointed out, I think it's very true. is like 99% of novice hunters need to get better at moving around elk, being around elk and knowing body language before they start blowing calls. And I, I learned that the hard way through years of effing it up, but, <laughs> but, but like, I think if, if I was going to like train my own kids, it would be like, Hey, go learn elk first, then learn how to call. Because like, when you just go out and you try to call, you don't understand elk behavior and it's going to take you a lot of years like to screw that up and whatnot. I also think like, me, if you even want to pick on Phelps, like I'll pick on Phelps, like me and Phelps, we grew up in West Western, oh, he, his Washington, now was Oregon. Those are different types of elk, different situations, but also, you know, it's like there, there was an era where there wasn't anybody calling. Like we we're few and far between people that are really able to call, you know, there were some old timers with like, you know, flute whistles and things like that. <laughs> but like the sure. Primos, there's a lot of Primos bugles when I was growing up calling. So like we were outstanding compared to a Primos bugle. And like, now I feel like everybody's calling. And so like, I, I don't think it's unheard of for an elk to hear a call and just turn and leave. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, I think one of the things that didn't, people don't really touch on, especially like, you know, the call maker's got to make it makes money. You know, right. So right. That is a capitalist market. <laughs> yeah. And more power too, dude. I mean, that's a great, the hell of a great thing to do for a living, you know, for sure. But I think that like your best opportunity to kill an elk by calling it, there's like a, th- at least what I've experienced personally and guiding, there's like a three to four day window where those bulls are looking for cows, like, especially the bigger ones, they're like looking right. for cows and they're willing to come in and right. they're like looking to kind of, they're either looking to fight or they're looking to breed and find their cows. And like that window, it depends on your area. It depends on like a lot of different variables, you know, heat, moon phase, all that. But I've found like, it seems to be like right around the 13th on either right on then before that or after it. And you have like that window to where those elk are like extremely vulnerable. Yeah. calls. If you hit it right, it's like world-class. It's sick. Like there's nothing like it. Oh but yeah. It's a good time <laughs> before or after that, like, you know, early September when those bulls are sitting on wallows, like, dude, you're not going to call one in with a cow call. Like mm. you're not going to call one in with a bugle. Like they're just kind of like chilling, like trying to like save themselves for the rut, you know? And like, 
it's, you know, timing, I feel like is everything. Well, I think the other, the other, the other factor in that is like, you know, and a lot of the guys that are doing this, like that are, you know, promoting calls and doing calls and, you know, I've had a lot of great podcasts with they're also in the game of I'm going to cover as much ground as I can until I find that one bull that's on that one day. And, sure. you know, that's, that's in, that's fine. You know, if you want to like, Hey, I'm going to cover a hundred miles a day, I'm going to bugle over all this country and I'm going to find one elk that wants to play. And if sure. that's the game, I, I understand it. I get it. I've done it. Um, but if you're like, Hey, this is the bull I'm after that gets to be a slippery slope. And, you know, Currently where I'm at and okay, it's like, I, I, I love finding that one bull and being like, I'm going to stalk you until you, I kill you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> psychotic I mean, gonna, as that sounds. I'm going to like stalk and kill you. Or I'm going to like screw it up completely. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's like trophy hunting mindset. And honestly, like, so my last two bulls, I killed one in 2017 and 2020. I mean, it was three years. I stuck one in 2019, but you know, didn't find it, but I didn't, you know, I didn't kill one for three years. You know, uh-huh. like you kind of, if you're a beginning elk hunter, I would not advise doing that. I would say just like, if you're a beginner intermediate, you just need to be like putting elk on the ground, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. if you want to have a six point minimum, like that's a great kind of thing to shoot for, but it's like, you kind of have to like kill elk to get good enough at killing elk to where you're like, okay, well I'm going to now like target like that, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. I don't know. You get to a point. It's like, for me personally, like guiding and stuff, like, I got to a point where I was just like, you know, you know how much work goes into that. Like, <laughs> you know, even in, like it is food and like bottom line, dude, I was started out as a meat hunter and like, that is like a huge reason to do it. Right. But you know, you kind of got to like be willing to accept that. And you're like, okay, well is like the animal or reflection of the effort that I've put into this. Right. You know, right, right. like I'm not going to like dude, trophy hunting, like the word itself kind of is misconstrued, but it's like, dude, you're really like, I feel like when you feel like you're at the pinnacle of your hunting ability, you owe it to yourself to do that, to try to find those animals that are like the most mature, the ones that have survived, you know, seven, eight plus years. And it's like, you owe it to yourself to chase that animal. Cause it's like, right. dude, I could, I'm not trying to sound cocky, but I could go out any year and shoot like a, a raghorn or a small six. Like I, I'm not trying to be cocky about it, but I could, you know, and it's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, it's yeah. not, you know, at the end of the day, like, do I want to like punch my tag first day of the season or do I want to like hunt, you know, and yeah, like yeah. for me, I love so it's like, I want to be out there and like, I want that thrill of like seeing that one that really gets your heart. Like, same. Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> same here. Um, what, in your opinion, like for the guy, like the guys that haven't killed one or, you know, say you only kill a bull every one in five years, like just can't figure it out. Like, why is that you think? Um, you know, not playing the wind, right it's probably the biggest issue that I see. And then also it's just like, you know, expectation versus reality too. It's like, you got to kind of think like what area you're in, you need to like, there does need to be some level of research. I feel like when you're first getting into things of being like, if you're especially trying to t- kill elk is you need to find the areas and there's the information's available is find out what areas have the biggest population of elk and then especially like if you're not able to afford like a guided hunt on private land somewhere, like you need to kind of find like the areas that have a high density of elk with ample amounts of public land that the public land goes from the bottom to the top, you know, oh, where interesting, yeah. yeah, where there's not, cause like a huge issue too. And especially in Montana and Colorado, like Idaho, any of the Western States, Oregon, I mean, you're going to run into like 
there's phenomenal elk habitat, but if you have like phenomenal elk habitat that's down low and that's private, there's going to be a lot more elk down low and it's going to suck a lot of those. Right. Elk. So it doesn't matter if they're, you know, 50,000 elk, <laughs> if they're all on private, it doesn't do you much. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that sucks. And it, you can play the game of like working like the, you know, the private fence line, cause that totally does work cause they come out <laughs> of there, but you know, you got to do a little bit of research and some of the draw areas that are like a t- super tough draw, you know, or even the, like the limited entry, basically like limited entry, unlimited permit areas can be a good place to start too. Cause there's generally like, you know, it's going to cut a few of the people down, but you know, you're going to have right. a little right. opportunity. You know? Would you, like, if you were, you say I was a new owner and would you recommend I, cause it's easy to get overwhelmed with all the information, right? You can listen to these podcasts. You can you're like, Oh shit, this guy's saying not to call that guy's saying to call. I don't know what to think. Would you say like find one tactic and stick with it until you're successful or try a little bit of everything? Because on one hand, you try a little bit of everything. You might, you might end up just not successful because you're like not being good at anything, you know, sure. you maybe find a system and, and get to where you can rinse and repeat that system. For sure. I don't I'm just like, care what you thought. I think that's definitely solid. And I, you know, and for new hunters, it's going to be hard to get, unless you have a lot of time, it's going to be hard to like perfect that. And cause like the elk, you know, especially like if you're trying to like get into archery elk, that's tough, you know, and I started out rifle hunting. I didn't archery hunt until, uh, I was 21 years old, you know? Um, but I do feel like, you know, in States that you can or could rifle hunt, I feel like it's kind of good to get that under your belt and get some like kills under your belt and just kind of get a little bit, you know, you're not obviously understanding them during the rut, but you get a little bit more like right. understanding behavior and like, don't be too proud to kill a cow. Like totally. dude, I, shot, I shot cows. Like I shot a bull when I was 13 and I don't know if I, I didn't kill another bull until I was like 22, you know, and I just shot cows and like, dude, don't be too proud to do that. And like, you know, especially if you're a, a newbie, dude, if you, if you're in an either sex area, like dude, and you're having, you know, tough break, you can't kill bulls, dude, shoot a cow. Right. Like, dude, uh, I'll tell I, you that one thing, that bull was like boot leather, <laughs> <laughs> you, know? <laughs> like, uh, you know, and like, I don't know, man, that like, at least it gives you some like understanding. It gives you some like validation. I'm being like, okay, I'm like getting better at this, you know, right. rather than you started out and you like, when a number of years without killing, you're trying to kill, like, you know, the expectation, like, Oh my God, I want to kill a big bull. And it's like, dude, shoot a couple of cows. And like, right. Yeah, bull. Hell yeah, dude. But don't be too proud to kill a cow, man. And it's like, it's better eating. You're going to get a better experience. You're going to feel better driving home with a freezer full of elk meat than like right. dude, the on the wall is sick, but dude, you, you need to like put something in the dirt every once in a while to like validate. Totally. You know? Totally. You need at bats and at bats could be like getting into elk, but at bats are also like pulling the trigger on stuff. And anyone who's hunted knows that there's so many things that can go wrong in that last 30 seconds. (laughs) Like, so you can be like, Oh, I passed on elk. I'm like, "Eh." (laughs) you know, like you didn't pass on it until you killed it. (laughs) Cause I mean, everything has to go so perfectly. And and I, I think you learn a lot you know, and that, and, you know, for me, it's always been about learning how to get better at this. Uh, it's, you know, I love elk hunting. I love finding big bulls. I love chasing big elk. I love talking to people who have different opinions. Like dude, just the whole, just becoming better to me is like, 
very interesting. And, um, I, I don't think there's any shortcut for, for anyone like looking for a shortcut. There's no shortcut shortcuts, lots of hours and you have to be around elk. And sometimes, you know, I think if you can get to the point where you're cutting your season short because you're shooting, uh, a raghorn or a five point, like then, then step it up because I think more time in the field is better. But until you get to the point where like, oh, I'm cutting my season short. Um, so prioritize, I always say prioritize at bats. Like that's the number one. So if you want to pass, I, I mean, I also believe killing elk is good, but if you pass down a raghorn opening day, cause you want to like spend the rest of the season, I'm, that's fine too. Um, oh, yeah. you know, like, but then, you know, you shoot a raghorn on the last day. That's fine too. Like, you know, it's, it's all good. Uh, but prioritizing at bats, is like, like kind of like what I think you're saying. It's something I believe too. It's just like, Hey, get out there screwed up try to try to think about everything that happens because it's happening for a reason like where they are is a reason why they're there is a reason like all these things are reason and like thinking thinking about them or making mental notes because anyone who's done this a long time has, has screwed everything up multiple times so if you can just yeah. like cut out the multiple parts <laughs> you'd be sure. way ahead of us right you'd be like oh here's why that went wrong and then i didn't do it again like man you're head and shoulders above everybody else <laughs> Sure. And like, it is, you know, it's really hard to like capitalize on the material, on the opportunities that you get. Cause I've had right. years too where it's like, dude, especially if you're targeting like bigger bulls, you're going to get one shot, maybe mm-hmm. two, you know? And that's like, that's just legit, man. I mean, I've hunted my balls off before and like, dude had one opportunity all year, you know, and like, and that's not to say like with smaller elk, that's not going to happen or cows, right. you know, it's like, dude, if you're trying to target like a big bull, like eh, you might have one shot and you need to like, be able to be level-headed enough in the moment to like make that happen and make right. the right, make the right decisions in that last like minute, you know, right, dude. five seconds. Cause I've had everything like personally and professionally, I've had things fall apart in like the last 25 seconds, Oh, you know, and it's like, yeah, did I, uh, yeah, you're speaking to the choir. I mean, I had all last year, didn't find a shooter until October last day, last hour of like told my wife I was on the way home yesterday type thing. And right. <laughs> I, I airballed on a giant that like, was just like a stupid mistake. My sight pen was moved and I was like a completely level-headed calm, perfect stock. Everything went well. I was like, well, oh, good to know after this long, it still screws up. over <laughs> <something stupid." laughs> those, those are painful though, dude. You know, you're just like, yeah, oh, it okay. won't happen again. I promise you that. <laughs> sure. uh, yeah, it's, rough. it's rough. You learn a lot more from, well, you definitely learn from the times you like kill it, but when you don't and you like screw it up, you're like, you're probably not going to make that mistake again. Right. <laughs> nah, dude. I, I just gotta, you gotta stay thankful and, you know, just like, man, I just, elk hunting is amazing. I can't wait. So I hate to rub it in your face since you're going to Alaska for the next two months, but <laughs> I'm not worried about it. I got yeah. like all of it. So Alaska's good too. For sure. It's not it's bad. New experience. <laughs> for sure. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, um, where can we go check out some of the pictures of these giant bulls and and uh, follow along with what you're up to? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. It's uh, Durango.boon. Um, and then on my Facebook, it's just Brandon Purcell. Nice. So. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for jumping on and, and good luck in Alaska. Yeah. Have fun. For sure. Go on some Thanks. adventures. For good. sure. Yeah, you too, man. I mean, have fun in archery season. Like, kill yeah. for me. And good luck. Yeah, good luck in rifle season as well, man. It'll be fun. For sure. All righty. 
All right, guys, thanks for tuning in to the Elk Hunt Podcast. If you love elk hunting content, tips and tactics, all that jazz, then go leave this podcast a review wherever you listen to podcasts at. Much appreciated. And if you're interested, go check out our Elk Hunt 201 course. It's a four-step system for doubling your success. It's a great resource, and it's going to make you a better hunter. I guarantee that, or we'll refund your money. So go check it out. Link in the show notes.